you have a Bible this morning and you'll read with us, we're going to take a reading from the 84th Psalm. The 84th Psalm. And we'll read all 12 verses of this song, Psalm, but we will um, turn to a few other places today as well. So, Psalm 84. Reads this How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will be withhold will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. That'll conclude our reading uh, this morning. And the title of our message today, based upon this psalm, is Entering in the House of the Lord. Entering in the house of the Lord. I don't know what has brought this um, experience back to mind for the last few weeks, Um, but there was a time whenever Kathleen and I were dating that um, we were just about to get engaged, and she did a 12 or a 14-week internship in Germany, and... It was over a summer, and uh, I worked by myself, and she was gone, and my roommate had moved out for the summer and was coming back in the fall, and um, I was very lonely, and I missed my sweetheart, and um, at that time, I was too poor to have Wi-Fi, so I'd go over to Panera Bread. And uh, during lunch hours, they'd only let you be on there for 30 minutes. And so I would go over there, and we would time our meeting each day for the next day. And um, I was very attentive to that. 
knew what time it was throughout all the day and looked forward to the next day. Um, Her and I also were talking about this last week, um, just the silly things you do when you date and when you're infatuated and falling in love with someone. Um, Her work was about 45 minutes from my house and uh, I would drive 45 minutes to an hour one way meet her for lunch for 30 minutes, and we would go to lunch for 30 minutes, and I would drive back 45 minutes to an hour back, and that was not an uncommon thing for us to do. I'm sure there's many other things that I could tell you about that, but that caused my mind to kind of go on a trail, I guess, and... um, not sure there will be as much connection in your mind as there is mine. I thought about fasting. And if you've ever fasted out of necessity, perhaps for a medical reason before, or maybe even for a religious reason, you'll know um, that when you start getting to the end of that period of fasting, it's tough. It's hard not to let your mind just completely focus on that thing that you've given up. Um, and it creates a longing. The deprivation of something that you long, you love, creates a longing. And this psalm, David has a deep longing. He wants to be in the house of the Lord. He's longing for it. He's eager for it. And look at verse 2, where he says this, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. That's strong words. I'm longing. My soul within me is fainting to be in the house of the Lord. And we might ask the question, genuinely, why? Why is, the, why is David longing to be in the house of the Lord? In our day, not many people are like that. In our day, there's a, at times, begrudging attitude towards our culture, towards coming to church, as it's often put. It's a burden. One of my two days off, I got to wake up. A lot of times people wake up at 4, 5, 6 a.m. on the, their weekdays and at times begrudgingly, but that's just duty. And then we start at, what, 9.30, 10.30 and people can have a, all of us, not all of us, can have a downer attitude about it. David is so eager My mind goes to experiences that I have had where I was really anticipating something. I remember playing in sports, and if we had a big game the next day, I just couldn't wait. I just, throughout the night, and it would get so real, and I know you've experienced it, I would dream about it. And the night would be four or five hours long because I couldn't sleep, and the moment that my eyes opened, I was eager to go and and to be prepared, to have my 
uniform ready and to be there early and to get there. And even though I had been deprived of sleep, I was fully awake. I was fully alive, ready to take in that experience. I've seen with my children that same attitude prior to going on a vacation, that they're anticipating it. They're usually kind of grumpy in the morning getting up and often they're up hours and hours before that, just excited and eager. And the question begs us to ask, why is it that David is so eager to be in the house of God? And the answer is so simple. God is there. God is there. That's what he says in verse 2. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. I I, I spent a lot of time praying this week, talking to the Lord, asking Him this question, why don't I long for you? Why don't I yearn for you? Like this, this isn't a cliche sermon topic. I mean, really. Why doesn't my heart ache for the presence of God? David is so eager. I think often zeal is sometimes written off as a characteristic of the ignorant young. It's not. There could be misplaced zeal without knowledge, yes. But enthusiasm and eagerness is not necessarily a characteristic of the young. It could be a characteristic of the enlightened. Those that understand. Those that know the value of something or someone. They're eager. They're desirous. And David here has this heart of yearning to enter in God's house because it is in God's house that God is. And listen, everything started with God and everything is eventually going to finish with God. The the scriptures tell us in Revelation that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so we know during this brief sojourning we have here that in the end, we are all going to end up the same place in a sense. And that is before God. And he desires during our pilgrimage down here that our hearts seek communion through faith with Him. Notice the the language He uses later in the psalm. He says this, It is better to be one day in your courts than a thousand days anywhere else. I want to... I don't think David is just meaning in the physical presence. Like, I don't think he's saying it's better to be here on a Sunday morning, an average Sunday morning with us, than it is a thousand elsewhere. I think what he's talking about is when God's presence is manifested, when his ways are known, when his word is enlightening the heart, when his spirit is Speaking to us, deeply speaking to our hearts. 
He's saying it's better in those moments where God is in our presence and communion with him is felt and experienced. It's better to be one day there than a thousand days preoccupied with, listen, anything else. Anything else. And if the heart of a man or a woman cannot ascertain or grasp that truth, perhaps it's because they've not experienced to the appropriate depth depth, what it is like to be in the presence of God for a day. These, throughout the scriptures, I want to talk about being in the house of the Lord. Now, let's make sure we're clear. This is not the house of the Lord. We know that. You, we are the house of the Lord. Lively stones built together unto a holy temple to the Spirit of God. We gathering together, us, for the purpose of worship. This is the house of the Lord. And when we're entering the house of the Lord... I think sometimes things can become so routine that they lose their, their holiness, their, how sanctified they're intended to be. I want to look at a scripture this morning. I want to step through our services in a way. I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8 if you have a Bible. So, being in the house of the Lord is different than everything else. Being together like this is different than anything else. And the reason is because we're anticipating, as David, he referenced in that psalm, he said, as they traveled through the valley of Baca, what that is what I came to learn, what that means is that there was a part on the journey to Jerusalem that was a very dry valley. There was a part of the trip that was not enjoyable. And he says, as I was traveling to the house of God and I was coming to this despised place, it was as though there were water everywhere because my heart so delighted in anticipation in getting to the house of God or in other words the rough journey was pleasant because of the end that I was expecting to experience here we read in this text in Nehemiah that the people in this setting and in this city had not experienced this for a very long time remember I told you when Kathleen was away there was a natural yearning that was created because my love for her was deep enough that being separated from someone you love I can remember at that time I had pictures and those pictures suddenly rose in value hearing her voice suddenly rose in value seeing her Going and even being around her family without her being there because it was an association with her. Anything that had to do with her suddenly became more valuable because she was not there. So, when we come to the house of God, one of the preeminent things that happens is this. The preaching of the word. Now, regardless of who's preaching, this is not meant to be self-serving at all. Regardless of who is preaching, the belief that we have is that God can speak through His Holy Spirit and through His Word to the human heart. 
I am incapable of touching your heart. I can move your emotions. But I'm incapable of setting a seed in your heart that is permanent and eternal. That touches the deepest nerves of your being. That is meant to alter who you are. That discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart. I'm incapable of that. But God is more than capable and desirous to do that at the hearing of his word. And these people had been deprived of this privilege for years and years and years. And finally, they had been called together by their leaders. And they said, let's hear the word of God. And they gathered together. And the Bible tells us in verse 3 of that reading, it says, And he read, speaking of Ezra the prophet, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women, and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. So notice this is what's happening here. They've been without the word of the law. They've been without divine instruction. And now they're all gathered together. And he gets up in the morning and he reads until midday. I don't know how long that was, but I think we can all easily assume it was a while. And yet let's not be fooled into thinking this was a one day thing. It wasn't. They did this every day. If you look at verse 18 at the end of the chapter, they did this every single day for seven days. They would gather together and the word of the law would be read for half of the day. And there they were, as it says in verse three, attentive under the word of the law. Now let's dissect it a little bit, a little bit. They weren't just attentive because they wanted to be respectful to the hearer or to the speaker. Certainly there's a, a decency and a morality in the sense of saying, you know what, I'm going to be respectful to whoever is speaking and I want to listen to them and give them my attention as a form of respect. But it's much deeper than that. No, they wanted to hear what God said. They needed to hear what God had to say. And there is this Openness. So listen, when you come into the house of God and you sit and the word of God is opened, I want to give you a piece of advice. There is a necessity for you to consciously determine to give your heart and your mind to the person who is speaking. There has to be a trust in the man of God or whoever is speaking that you're going to say, listen, I'm going to give him my mind and my heart. I'm going to let the thoughts that he portrays, the stories that he is telling, take control of my mind. Trusting that through the proclamation of the word, God will begin to speak to me. There is a necessity. I was thinking this week about myself. See if it applies to you. The... I felt very convicted recently about how many things are in my mind. Not not necessarily bad things, just things. I feel like there's been a few times that I like a clean desk. There's been a few times where my desk has gotten super cluttered. And I come in there and I want to get something done. But I can't efficiently and effectively accomplish it. Because there's so much clutter. 
And so what I have to do is I have to take it, I have to push it aside. But in the process, sometimes I, I break things or I disorganize things or I then can't find those things that I'll need later. And it, very often it seems as though that my mind is perpetually stacked high with things all over the desk of my mind that I invite and I welcome and I give permission to all manner of people and all manner of activity and things to just clutter and clutter and clutter. And then I rush to the Bible and I say, okay, Lord, clear my heart. Let me study your word and present it to the people. And then I struggle because here's what's happened. I start reading and I get down to verse two and my mind goes to that thing that just five minutes earlier that I was thinking about. And I have to say, okay, wait, 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 no, no, okay, focus. And then I start reading, and then something else, and then something else, and then something else, and then something else. And there is this bombardment of things. It's as though that I have created a dam. I've tried to, I've tried to create a dam, and I have personally put all this water behind the dam, and then I wonder why it leaks out whenever I'm trying to be dry. Maybe the problem isn't building a bigger dam and learning to focus. Maybe the problem is not putting as much water on that side to begin with. See, these people were coming and they were attentive. They wanted the word of God. Because listen, I imagine like this. If you have a cup and you fill that cup with water. Or let's say that you fill your cup with all the things in this life. Anything from your little text message conversations all the way up to the important things you have to do for work. And everything in between you are pouring in that cup. Your cup has only a certain depth. Only so much can fit in there. And if you continue to take a, take a pitcher and pour it in, and then all of a sudden it's coming over, right? And you set that pitcher down, and then God picks up his pitcher. And he pours a little bit in. And then you set that pitcher down and you go right back and you pour the other pitcher in. What's going to happen to what you poured in from God's pitcher? It's going to run out, right? It has no choice. It's going to, yeah, maybe a little bit will stick. But for the most part, it's all going to run out. You see, what if God knows we have responsibilities to take care of. And I'm not negating that. But what if we were vigilant and purposeful and said, I am going to restrict and be mindful as to what is poured into the cup of my mind. I'm not going to give freeway. You ever, I don't want to say you ever heard of it. You do it all the time. You ever scroll you know what I'm talking about? You just scroll on your phone. You scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Isn't that kind of like an invitation for anybody to get in there? Whatever pops up. And then some journalist, journalist has a catchy title. Some friend has a catchy social media first three, four words. And you pause. You fill it up. Usually... I always laugh because I say, what did I look at for an hour a week ago? And I spent an hour, that's a lot of time. What was it? What about two weeks ago or three weeks ago or four weeks ago or a year ago or two years ago? I just fill it up and fill it up and fill it up. And then come into the house of the Lord and I say, Lord, 
fill me up. And what if his response is, there's no room? There's no room. Because even when I try to fill it up, you have a pitcher going at the same time, pouring, and it's taken everything out. You see, these people came, and they wanted God's word to be poured in. Lest it escape, further down in the text, it gives a list of men. You can look at verse 6 for that. And those men came after the word and made sure the people could understand it. So, think of it in our day like this. Somebody gets up, you go to Sunday school, you get a lesson, you go to your, your Sunday morning service, you hear a lesson, and, and you're all ears. And you're praying days before, Lord, when I come to your house, please let your word settle in my heart. Let it root in my heart. Let it not be somehow plucked up. But I want, when I get there, I want it, I want to prepare the landscape for you to plant. And then you don't understand something. You say, you know what? I, didn't, I, don't, I don't understand what you were saying. I don't see its relevance. I don't see the connection. So you follow, that's why these people, they followed up. Why? Because they're desperate. They want to know. They have to know. What is it that God's word says? We get to the so not only do they stay for a really long time, but then they stop and they're making sure that whatever is being planted and poured in is going to stay because they know what they are doing there is more important to the vitality of their future life and to the welfare of their people than anything else that they could pour into their cup. Not because the man speaking has elevated wisdom, but because God is manifest in the presence of his word. God is instruction. His righteousness is communicated to our hearts. And where else will we find that? Here are the people. Notice their reaction in verse 6. They hear the word. And they say, Amen! Amen! Now, this could be interpreted wrong, and I hope you don't. Amen is a good thing to say in the house of the Lord. It's a necessary thing. I don't need self-confidence from you saying amen. Okay? I mean, sometimes it provides it, but I don't need it. Amen's an important word. It's an important display of Agreement of assurance of a furtherance of what's being said that you are denoting both to yourself and to others. That is true. That is worth being heard. That is worth being known. And so the people blessed by the word, you've been in the presence of some people who are so engaged and hungry for God's word that it's not like amen is a reaction to something, but rather it is like something is stirring within them with excitement and they're shouting amen. They're so enraptured and they find what's being said so important that it's almost like you cannot restrain them from saying amen because the proclamation of the truth is so vital and they see it as so valuable. Here, the people. Amen, amen. And then his response, 
they bow, and they don't worship the preacher. They begin to worship the Lord for the truth. They're humbled, they're grateful that God blessed them to be in the presence of his holy word and hear what the righteous words and truth is being spoken. But it doesn't stop. It says this in verse 8, or excuse me, verse 9. It says this. This is what Ezra says to the people. This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. This is how I interpret what's going on in verse 9 or in this text. They're, they're so overcome by a, 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 a group, conflicting emotions. In one sense, they haven't heard the word of God so long and they are weeping over time lost. We haven't done this. Have you ever heard somebody who got saved at a later age lament their life up until the point that they got saved? I was lost and I was, oh, it just kills me. I wasted so much time. I had so hardness of heart. I applied my energies in areas that mattered not at all. And it breaks me that I wasted all of that time when I could have been using it to honor Jesus Christ for what he has done. And so their whole life, they walk with this sense of conflicting of, yes, I am grateful, but oh, how I simultaneously mourn for what was lost. Seems to me that's what the people are doing here. They're weeping for two reasons, that they get to hear it. And, and he's coming and he's saying, don't weep, rejoice, be happy, be joyful that you get to hear this, have a feast, celebrate that you've gotten to hear the word of God. Don't weep over the fact that you were not obeying and not doing those things in times past. That time is gone. And they're weeping or they're, they're rejoicing. He tells them, rejoice. So the people, they come in. Notice it says this. I want to I add this thought as it comes to my mind. Look at verse 3 for all you young people. So here's a question that you could ask. At what point is it appropriate for a kid to stop playing in the pew? It's a good question. It seems like it tells us right here. All of those who could understand. The men, the women, and all of those who could understand. So when you get to a place, young person, where you can begin to understand what is being... You may not understand 100%, but when you can start recognizing the important pillars of what's being spoken. It's time to put games away and to listen. Because what is spoken here is of importance. The greatest importance. That's one part of our service. What's another part of our service? Singing. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. It says this. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts or thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I think this is a cultural thing. And I don't think it's a good cultural thing. That the way I interpret this thought is this. What we do here is of eternal importance. 
Everything that goes on here matters. Everything that goes on here ought to be done in a sanctified way. What does sanctified mean? Set apart. So in other words, listen to me. What we do here ought to be different than anything you do anywhere else. This is different. And so whereas you might be tardy other places, you're not tardy here. Whereas you might be disheveled other places, you come in with intent here. Though you might be distracted in the classroom, you come in attentive here. Whereas you might not sing even in the radio, your heart's focus is upon the words of the music. Because nothing that you do outside of here is like what you do here. Because nothing you do outside of here is directly intended in those actions to worship God with such a public display. You are coming here, I am coming here as the people of God to do something that different that God deserves alone. And so I will not behave anywhere else like I behave here in my worship of God with my brothers and sisters. There's something unique. So singing says this. What are we to do? Well, we're to, when we gather together, we're to teach and admonish one another. So I think that goes on. We try to do that. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace and thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. So we come in. And you say, Brother Brad, I'm just not a singer. Okay, I can buy that. Some of you aren't singers, right? Not a singer. But when singing is being done, where is your heart? Where is your mind? I'll give you an example. This week I was here at the church. I got over on that piano. I started playing. And I started playing a song that I've probably sung countless times. I had been kind of ruminating on these things. And I thought, you know what I'm going to try to do? Everything that is coming out of my mouth, I'm going to try to think about. First thing I'll point out, how I had to strain to do that. It wasn't as easy as what you would think. I mean completely be thoughtful about what you're singing. Letting the imagery... Have control of your mind and heart and go where it takes you. I began to sing about the second or third verse of this song. And I paused and I almost started laughing. Because I thought, I never knew that was in there. Like I knew the words were in there and I could have recited the words without using the book. That's how familiar I was with the song. But my mind had never gone to the place where the musician or the writer told me to go. And finally, for the first time, my heart is singing to the Lord exactly what the songwriter had. And my mind is focused and I'm with a thankful heart lifting up to God and I'm having to pause in amazement at my disconnect from the very things that can come forth from my mouth to the things that are actually in my heart. This says, we sing And it's like you come in here into the house of God and ultimately you're giving the keys to your heart and your mind to the Lord. But there's a sense to which when Sister Ashley gets up here and she leads singing, you're giving her permission 
to dictate where your heart is going, where your mind is focused upon. And you're not thinking about all the things that you have to do when you leave here. And you're not thinking about the, the, the big week that you have ahead or the mournful week necessarily behind you. But today you're here to worship and focus on God himself. When you enter into the house of the Lord, it is the sanctified gathering. It's different. It's different. Here, he's exhorting them. He goes on in verse 17. You hear this very often. It's the next verse. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. There is this intentionality with which entering into the house of the Lord happens. So I'm going to close with this thought. Let's suppose for a moment that we don't have to suppose because we've experienced it. Think of those times when we have gathered together and our hearts were like that. Nothing else mattered. Your heart and mind was thirsting for God's presence. Why? Because you live in a desert wilderness land. Don't you? I mean, don't you live in a desert? I do. In the very least, a desert of my mind. All the things that I engage in through the week, all having a temporal root. All the associations, all the conversation, all the inundating of information about a lower world. Then we can come. And not only can we come here and commune with God, what is better than experiencing joy? I would contend experiencing joy with other people experiencing joy. I love when we I love when the Lord blesses me, but I love the Lord more I love it more when the Lord blesses us. When joy is experienced across the board with those people that I love. Young person today, I want to to speak to you for a moment and I'm done. When you come into the house of the Lord, don't, what is it called? Assimilate. That's what the word I'm looking for. Assimilation is when you go into an environment and you just are a chameleon. You adopt that around you. I'm not talking about our church specifically. This isn't a rebuking sermon. This is just me saying... It's important in your life, the way you govern your life, that you don't just step into a culture and assimilate to what everybody else does. I'm going to use his name because it will communicate the point. I love Brother Aaron Binion very much, the way that he worships. Does he assimilate? He doesn't. Now, the point, don't get lost in this point. It's not that you have to be as extroverted as he is. But you do need to be perceivably as sincere in his worship as he is. Is there any doubt? You know, I got a sense of how serious that he takes worship when he called me a week before the minister school and said, I'm, I'm starting to pray about the songs that we're singing. 
in ministry school. When I'd play the piano for him back before I began to pastor this church, he'd come and he would say, well, this lesson is about this, and so I feel like we need to sing this song because it's about that lesson. And it, it blessed me so much because of the intentionality and seriousness. Now listen, when you come into the house of the Lord, we have a, since at least I've been here, I don't know what precedes this, we don't sing a lot of specials. That doesn't mean that's the way it's got to be. If your heart, a way that you worship God is through singing, all you have to do is say, I need to sing. You don't have to assimilate to us. You don't have to get this book and pick a song out of this book. You may not see on certain times kids asking questions. But listen, if you're ever going to grow truly and have ownership of your own walk with God, you're going to have a lot of questions. And you're going to need to seek out answers so that you can know how to draw closer to God. And if it looks ridiculous to others, if it's embarrassing in front of your peers, listen, there's a payoff. And that is that you end up closer to the presence of God as a result. There is an extent to which we cannot assimilate. Told you before, and I'll recommend it again. I think that your Sunday should start on Saturday evening. You say, I am not going to engage my mind too highly in the things of the world in preparation for what we're doing tomorrow because it's too important. So I'm going to put away these tasks at 6 o'clock. Putting them away. I'm going to open up the Word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to turn off the television. Why? Because it just takes my mind everywhere. It It just pours the water in. Tomorrow is too important not to. You say, Brother Brad, you can't do that in the 21st century world. You can't do it and still be a part of the 21st century world. You're right. But I would say, not only can we do it, we ought to do it. This morning, I want to emphasize, as you can tell, the fact what has gone on here is important. I'm not, this isn't a response to no one or nothing. So don't let your mind run to places that it ought not to run. But it's to reaffirm the sanctity of this place and this behavior. I have inquiring children. The Bible says that there are inquiring children, that sometimes God did things for the simple sake of inquiring children. Remember that? When your children ask, why these stones? When your children ask, why this festival, this feast? You can say this. Mom, Dad, why do we not do anything on Saturday night? Mom, Dad, why are all electronics off on Saturday night? Mom, Dad, why do we come together and pray as a family and read the scriptures on Saturday night? Why? a great question because tomorrow is when we go and meet in the house of the Lord together I pray as most of the time the message never comes out the way it comes in I pray that the Lord would help you 
that it would reaffirm in you just how important the Lord is. That's my intent. This is different than everything else because he is different than anybody else. And I pray that the Lord would convict your heart, speak to your heart. When I, when I pray, I am open like a friend is to a friend. But the way I speak is altogether different than I speak to anybody else. Do you understand? The content is transparent, just like I'm speaking to my best friend. But the manner in which I speak is altogether different. Because he is so holy. He is so elevated that I would be terrified to speak to him in a cavalier, tongue-in-cheek manner. No, it's like, it's almost like when I pray, I have to roll out the red carpet first. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this sense of my heart tremors a little bit. Like, Lord, does the inflection in my voice change? Absolutely it does. It's not even conscious. It's just who I'm speaking to humbles me. I pray that our gatherings could do the same in our hearts and that it would be manifest as appropriate.